morning. Thank you for joining us for worship on this fourth weekend in Advent. And my hope is that you can leave behind, if that's possible, the busyness of this season for a little bit and all the stuff yet to do uh, this week. And um, just for a little while, focus on these moments on worshiping God. Uh, every year, I'm told um, that the, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, uh, there is displayed beneath a great Christmas tree a beautiful 18th century Neapolitan uh, nativity scene. And in many ways, it is very familiar to what we would see as the nativity. Uh, the usual characters are there, shepherds uh, kind of coming awake from the voices of the angels, and there's the exotic wise men from the east seeking the Christ child. There's Joseph and Mary and the baby. Um, but there is something surprising also about this whole scene and something kind of unexpected that you might miss. And what is strange is that the stable, the shepherds, the cradle, are not set in the, in the expected uh, town of Bethlehem, but among ruins of the Roman Empire. Uh, this fragile manger is surrounded by the broken and decaying columns of the empire of Rome. And the artist in the, who created this uh, it, uh, understood the meaning that he was trying to create. The gospel, uh, the birth of God's new age, was the death of the old world. And the King Herod types uh, know in their soul what perhaps we pass over kind of lightly, that God's presence in the world today finally means the end of evil's power. And they aren't, uh, in, in this particular scene, in this particular story of Jesus' birth, uh, Herod was not looking to preserve God's new age, but to crush it. And for Herod, the gospel was all about bad news. Uh, he tried to eliminate Jesus. Uh, but for Mary and Joseph and for others of us even today, uh, the Christmas story is good news. Um, good news that we don't want to miss. So I hope uh, that you also see it as good news uh, today, as we continue to uh, hear the Christmas story, uh, and I invite you to hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For uh, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. God of love, we um, sometimes truly succumb to the hectic nature of this season and clutter our lives with schedules that are so busy we barely have time to breathe. We plan, we prepare, we cook, we clean, party, and yet wind up exhausted and wondering what in the world happened to the joyous Christmas that we want to observe. And in this place and on this day, you've called us together to hear words of encouragement, to remind us that you are with us. We do not need to rush around in order to have Christmas, for the witness of your love is here among us even now. So open our hearts and help us proclaim that presence. Help us to reach out to each other in joy and peace. And as we bring our concerns to you today, remind us again that you hold each and every one of us gently and lovingly in your constant care. And we thank you for that love in the name of the one who came to heal us and free us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, today we come to the fourth message in this series we've been doing for Advent called, What Are You Expecting This Christmas? 
And the scriptures that we're going to be looking at today come from the gospel according to John, the first chapter, and the New Testament book of Hebrews. You know, throughout this Advent season, we've been looking at the Christmas story through the eyes of those who did not miss the true message of the, that was being communicated, uh, the shepherds, the wise men, Joseph, Mary, and others. Today, we're going to be reminded of what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. And we'll get to all that. We're going to sing some more good music, but I invite you to get comfortable and just enjoy the day. Um, we, got, we have uh, been lighting the Advent candle uh, throughout this season as well. Uh, today, uh, Mike's going to help us in a moment, but we're going to light the candle of love. And again, it's a responsive reading, uh, leader and people, so join in on the people part if you would. The fourth candle of Advent is the candle of love. Its light is meant to remind us of the love that God has for us. Jesus shows us God's perfect love. He is God's love in human form. The Bible says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The apostle Paul reminds us love is patient and it's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Last week, um, we lit the candle of joy, and we light it again along with the candles of hope and peace as we remember that Christ will come again and bring us everlasting peace and joy. And today we light the candle of love to remind us of how God's perfect love is found in Jesus Christ. Will you join me in the prayer? God, we have learned to love from being loved by you. We know that what the world needs is more love. And so today, let us live out that love. We need to remember how much you love each one of us, and we must share that love with others. Amen. In the opening words of the Old Testament book of Genesis, we read the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. At creation, there was only darkness. But then God spoke, let there be light. And light was born. Centuries later, that word of God and that light of God became flesh and blood in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate in this season. When our kids were small, we did what many families do today. We dressed our kids in their pajamas. We packed them into the car on a cold December evening a week or so before Christmas, and we toured the city looking at Christmas lights. It's always a good memory in our family, reds and greens and whites and golds. The lights of Christmas stir something within our spirit, don't they? But while it's difficult to miss the lights, on all the houses and trees this time of year, we can miss the light of God in the darkness of our lives. 
We can miss the comfort and the peace and the joy that God's light brings, which is why we need to slow down. As we've been talking about each Sunday during Advent, to be more intentional about looking for Jesus, especially in this season of light. And as we've heard the past few weeks, a lot of people in the first century missed the birth of Jesus because they were either too busy to notice or they were so familiar with the story of the coming of the Messiah that they failed to give it any serious thought. Many people had lost hope that a savior would ever come to free them from Roman oppression. So while they were, there were signs and songs all around them, they missed it. They missed the light and continued to live in the darkness. The people of Jesus' day were living in the darkness of fear and fatigue and failure. They lived in the darkness of despair and division and death. They lived in the darkness of unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams. God sent his son into the world, but they missed the light of God. There are many people in our world today still living in the darkness of fear and failure and fatigue. They still live in a world where there's darkness and despair and division and death. We still live in darkness of unmet expectations and unfulfilled dreams. But we don't have to because we, we don't have to miss the light of God. We can open our eyes and our hearts to receive the gift of Jesus who is the very light and word of God. Here's how the Gospel of John, the first chapter, describes it. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And as we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. See, there are two images here that John uses that are tied together, the Word of God and the light of God. And what we need to understand is that God's Word, it's God's Word that brings forth light and life. And in the darkness, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and that light brought life into the world. Generations later, that Word became flesh and blood in Jesus Christ. And so through Jesus, we not only have the word of God, but a light that brings us life. God's light and God's word are here for us today, and our challenge is not to miss it. 
The word of God that brings light into our darkness includes all the promises of God that we read in Scripture. And while most people missed out on what on, on these when Jesus was born, there's, there was a handful who did not. And if we don't miss it, then we can experience the fullness of God's promise, a promise that brings confidence into the darkness of uncertainty. As we gain some years of experience and maturity, most of us understand that life is fragile and it's uncertain. Whether it's our health or our jobs or our finances or our relationships, we don't always know what tomorrow is going to bring, do we? We all know people who felt just fine one day and suddenly get a new diagnosis or people who go to work one day only to find out that the business is being sold and their job phased out or while some years there's been a good stock market uh, and, and, and successful uh, portfolios uh, resulted. We also remember there are other years when the stock market drops and our retirement plans change a little. You see, every facet of life has its own uncertainties. And into this uncertainty, God makes promises to us. And the first promise that we receive in Jesus is a confidence that helps us to face the future unafraid. This confidence doesn't come from a promise that everything in life is going to be stable and strong and and not change. Our confidence comes in knowing that whatever we go through in this life, we don't have to go through it alone because God is with us. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 19, it reminds us of this promise. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, Jesus gives us confidence because it is through him that we are connected to God. And no matter what's going on in our life, we don't need to be afraid. We do not have to go through life alone. The story of Jesus' birth in the Gospels reminds us that Joseph didn't miss that fact. You know, Joseph was in a pretty dark place when he first heard that Mary was pregnant. There was a great uncertainty about the situation and what he was going to do. And he was a faithful Jew, and so the law said that he should punish Mary. But in love, he didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to shame her. He faced an uncertain future, and into that darkness, God spoke, Do not be afraid, Joseph, to take Mary as your wife. Be confident, Joseph. Know that what is taking place in her is the work of God. Joseph took hold of that promise, and the light of God pierced his darkness and gave him the ability to move forward. And what I love about this passage of Scripture from Hebrews 10 is that while it tells us that we can find courage and confidence in our relationship with God, it it also says that we can experience the presence of God in the life of the church. 
You know, when it's hard to draw confidence from God alone, we can also turn to the people of God for that power. Confidence in our faith and courage in life is a gift that we receive from each other if we will continue to stay, neglect, uh, stay connected and not neglect our meeting together. And that's why worship is so important. That's why service opportunities and small groups are so important. Being together is not primarily about what's in it for me. It's an opportunity to encourage each other. The second promise we receive in Jesus is strength in the darkness of weakness. Mary didn't miss this promise. When Mary was told that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, she asked, how can this be? See, Mary was a young woman. She didn't feel like she was very strong. How, could, how was she going to do what God was asking her to do? Have you ever faced a situation in your own life when you ask yourself something similar? How can this be? How can I possibly do this, God? I don't have what it takes. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the faith. See, when we experience this kind of darkness, we need to remember that God promises to be our strength. The Apostle Paul struggled with some kind of weakness in his own life. The scripture calls it a thorn in the flesh. And on numerous occasions, he asked God to take it away from him, but God's answer wasn't to take away the problem, but to be Paul's strength in his weakness. To be Paul's light in the darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says, My grace is all that you need. My power works best in your weakness. God's grace is what makes us strong when we're weak. God's grace is what held Mary together and helped her to do what she thought was impossible. The story of God is always the story of God's power being seen in those who are weak. Think back of Abraham or Ruth or David or Mary or Joseph or the Apostle Paul. They were all people who didn't have what it takes to accomplish God's plan all on their own. They each lived in their own darkness and had to ask God to be their light, to be their strength. And Jesus came to be the light in our darkness and the strength in our weakness. He has come to help us do more than we ever thought possible. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. When we get to the place where we feel like we're in over our heads, that is the very moment we need to remember the promise that God is with us to be our strength. Now the third promise of God that brings light in is the goodness of God in the darkness of sin and brokenness and evil. The shepherds didn't miss this truth. They were living in the darkness of brokenness and sin. They were often separated from others. They were living isolated and alone out in the fields at night in the darkness, but the light of God appears and shines around them, and it literally brought them good news of great joy. The goodness of God came to them first and told them that the sin and brokenness and evil of this world were going to be defeated in Jesus, and that his light would bring peace on earth and goodwill to men and women everywhere. The shepherds didn't just experience this light and goodness in Jesus, they went off and shared it. 
After they saw the baby Jesus, Luke 2.20 says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying God and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. They were now the light of God's goodness in the darkness of the world. And God calls us to be that light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The church, you and me, we need to be a light of goodness in a world of evil. The Bible says that we are to be the aroma of Christ in a world that is dying, the image of goodness in a world of darkness. The church is to be a reflection of the light of God and a reminder of the goodness of God. And I am thankful for all the ways that Redeemer Church has been the light of, of goodness this past year. We have been a light to new believers in the Ukraine. We have been a light to students and Air Force personnel in Germany. We have been a light to people affected by hurricanes and floods and earthquakes by providing blankets and other supplies through church world service. We have been a light to those who are hungry and hurting in our own community through our food pantry and support of things like weekend backpacks. We have been a light to new mothers through our baby blessings ministry and to residents in the greater Pittsburgh area through a work team this past summer. You see, in so many ways, the light of Christ has gone out from this congregation to dispel the darkness. And in our offering this Christmas, we will continue to be a light to those who suffer the effects of domestic abuse. We will be a light to school-age students in this community. We will be a light to the students and staff at Wesley Woods Camp. We are a light shining in the darkness, and you are part of sharing this promise of God's goodness. And as we share it, we also experience it. So don't miss what God is doing in and through you. Don't miss being part of that light in the darkness. There's a fourth and final promise we're going to talk about that has to do with an actual light that appeared in the sky. It was the light of God that gave direction in people's confusion. When Jesus was born, a star gave direction uh, in the darkness of confusion, and the wise men from the east literally followed that star to Israel. And while they went to Jerusalem to find a king, assuming the king would be there, the light eventually led them to the little town of Bethlehem. And there they, the, they met Jesus and his family. And the star is a reminder that God's word still guides us in this life. Psalm 119.105 says this about God. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. God's word is what illuminates our path and guides us through the confusion of life. And as we enter into a new year with all of its challenges and all of its uncertainties, we need to read and we need to study God's word. Make this promise to yourself. Allow God's light to shine into the darkness of your life and give you direction. See, in Jesus, we have the light of God's word, which is full of promises. In Jesus, there is the promise of confidence and strength and goodness. And in Jesus, there is a light that gives direction to our lives. These are all gifts given to us in Jesus. But they are of no good unless we use them. I'm curious this morning, how many of you have purchased a gift card so that you could give to someone this season? 
Anybody purchase a gift card? Yeah, lots of us do that. How many of you think you might get a gift card this year? Okay, some of us. You know, gift cards have become very popular. But how many of us have ever thrown one out without using the entire amount given? Anybody? Two of us. Okay, good. A few of us. Do you know how much money is thrown away in unused gift cards every year? I read an estimate that shocked me this last week, about $1 billion a year. $1 billion thrown away. God's gift of light and God's promises are similar to those gift cards. We have them. These promises are for us to use, and they bring light and hope and power to our lives. But too often we forget or we discard them. We never receive all that they offer. We miss the light of God's promise, and we continue to live in the darkness. So my prayer for you uh, this year is don't miss the light. Don't miss all the promises that God gives us in his word, the Bible, and in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Let's pray. God, you spoke and light penetrated the darkness. A good light, a strong light, a perfect light. But we went astray, loving darkness rather than light. So you sent prophets to call us back towards the light. And still we were stubborn and afraid. So you sent your son to be the light of the world, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness can never overcome. Lord, you have called us today and you have brought light into our lives and now you ask us to be your light in the continuing darkness of this world. At times we may feel like a small, fragile, flickering candle, and at other times a bright, strong beam of light. So help us this coming week and in the year ahead to let your light shine through us in all of our words and in all of our actions. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.